Welcome to episode 45 of the Rapid Change Matters podcast, a conversation with hypnotherapist and co-founder of the Jacquin Hypnosis Academy, Freddie Jacquin. My name's Howard Cooper, and for over 14 years now, I've been fascinated with helping people to create personal change quickly. But I still come across many who believe that lasting personal change has to take a long time, consisting of reliving traumas or deep psychological analysis, or simply that flawed notion that understanding why you have a problem will somehow make it go away. I'm on a mission to get people who work therapeutically with others to shift their thinking and realize that these beliefs are not written in stone. Rapid change can happen. So, to help you open up to what's possible, I'm chatting with top therapists and agents of change who are out there getting real results with real people really quickly. Before we get to the interview, I've got big news. Rapid Changeworks is now running live training events, and you can check out the latest events coming up by visiting rapidchange.works, where you can also download a free, quick-to-read PDF on five strategies to amplify your client's response, along with all the information about this episode and episodes still to come. Now, over to the interview. We are joined today by someone who has helped over 30,000 therapy clients in his private practice and group sessions. His reputation and contribution to the world of hypnosis is vast, and the inductions and techniques developed by today's guest have helped countless therapists all around the world to free people from invisible barriers and open minds to new possibilities. Freddie Jackwin is the founder of the Jackwin Hypnosis Academy, and along with his son Anthony, author of Reality is Plastic, he trains people to be highly effective hypnotherapists. So looking forward to arrowing in on some interesting conversation that's bound to get people a quiver with curiosity. Welcome, Freddie, to this Rapid Change Good Conversation. Good morning. It's honestly, it's great to have you, and I'm looking forward to this conversation immensely, and, and hoping we can jump straight in, and you could tell uh, me and our listeners a little bit about um, who you are, what you do, but really the question that I, I have is how you got started in all of this. Well, I got started purely out of curiosity. I've always been interested in how physically, physically I've been uh, an ABA boxing coach. <coughs> I've coached young footballers and I have four sons, um, but I've always known that physically we're limited, but mentally I believe we're not. And I saw um, an advertisement for a training in hypnosis, and it was called Successful Hypnotherapy. And there was a big emphasis in, on that course on successful, in other words, how you could make money at it. Not that I went there for that reason. I just was interested in how to do it. And having learned that, which was analysis, really, which was, I've, you know, soon, very soon got away from that after I, I knew better and I studied Ericsson and a few other uh, top therapists. Um, but it got me interested and I, I never intended to be a hypnotherapist, but then when I got back from that course, people said, can you help me with this? Can you help me with that? And I just thought, I love this. And why would I be doing anything else? And then I got into it full time and I've been doing it now for 25 years. Fantastic. And what, what was it that appealed to you about this whole field? It's just a fascination about how you can, well, how people can go from one state of feeling they're in control to being out. And I've only ever done going by stage hypnosis. That's where I was, what I was looking at at the time. Hmm. And what got me into just 
interested in hypnosis, if you like. But the idea of being able to help people and help people rapidly change their lives really appealed to me. And it is a fantastic thing to be able to do, really. As you know. For sure, for sure. And I'm, I'm curious because obviously this is the Rapid Change Matters podcast. And I come at this from the angle of I think a lot of people um, still, and I'm talking about the general population, still believe that, you know, change is about, you know, reliving trauma or sitting in a, a chaise long chair while you word free associate for 500 to 600 hours and explore your deep, dark past. Um, are those sorts of things that you've come across before? And what's your, your, your take on that? How did, how did you know at some point that maybe that's just not the way things can be done? Well, I, as I said, I tried, the course I've had was a week's course in hypnoanalysis. And that was about just laying someone on the couch, asking them where they were, what they were thinking. And for weeks and weeks, going through all the rubbish in their past, which I personally think is a terrible thing to do to someone. I know people work like that, and maybe they get results. But for me, knowing what I know now, and in knowing what you know now, that you can enable someone to change very rapidly. I've, I've, I've seen people with a heroin addiction, and, and, I, and I know this sounds incredible, but in one session, someone who's been on heroin for 10 years, I'm not saying they didn't have to go through some withdrawal, but we have things like anchoring and other techniques to help them through that. But they, they stopped taking that drug, you know, after 10 years of taking it, you know, every day. So when you can help someone do that in an hour, an hour and a half, you know, it's a phenomenal thing to do. And I've seen maybe 20,000 people for smoking who have quit in an hour or an hour and a half. So... As soon as I, I, I got into this and I realized that analysis for me is not the way to go, you know, from a, from a business point of view, it might be a great way to, to work because you're keeping people in therapy forever if you want them in therapy. Mm. But I, I, I ethically, I, I feel that if I can help someone change, I have to do it for them as quickly as possible. If they've got a fear or a phobia, I don't six weeks of having that fear, if I can alleviate or help them alleviate that in, in one hour. Same with the drug problem. Why would you want someone to have that longer than they, they need to? Or any emotional problems. You know, I want my client to be free from their problem as quickly as possible. And with the techniques that we're using now, and the understanding we have of how quickly we can change as human beings, we can do that. Um, as you spoke earlier about the arrow technique, you know, I, I initially developed that as a, a, a technique for chronic pain. And then Anthony and myself, obviously, we, we travel a lot and we speak a lot, we realized that we could use that for emotional pain. And so we put it out as a product. Now, people are using that and without any limits. They're putting anxiety and they're putting the smoking habit in the, in, the, in the target and getting great results with it you know, because they don't have the limitations. They're just saying, let's try this. As I say to all of my clients and to our students, you know, it is just your imagination. It's only words. You know, what's the worst thing that can happen if you ran a technique with someone when you're only using imagination and we're only using the words we have? So, and you can change very rapidly. You know, I'm, I'm developing something now for emotional change and I fully expect that to be as rapid as the arrow um, for change. How much do you think expectation and the belief of the, the hypnotist, the change worker, uh, has in terms of the impact? Because I've, I've seen, I mean, I've seen you at the UK Hypnosis Convention uh, speak, and something that you 
absolutely embody as you communicate is a total and utter congruence and belief that what you're saying and the process you're taking them through is going to have the most amazing effect. I mean, that, that's obviously for me, because I've seen it so many times, I can say it. But I also believe that even if you're doing this for the very first time, your attitude and your expectation is vast. And it's, it's immense when it comes to helping that person change. Because if you step up and say to someone, you know, I hope we're going to you know, we'll try and help you, you know, with a bit of luck, the wind behind you, we might get a result. You know, that's not the way to approach this. And although I was, I was speaking to my son Anthony yesterday about this, about when I stand up in front of a group of 200 people for smoking, and I say, when you leave here today, the need for a cigarette will be gone. And he said, well, you say that, but in reality, you're not going to get 100% of those people quitting smoking. And my answer, and it's, it's still the same, I, I, is that by expecting that, by um, saying it in that way, like, like tomorrow the sun will come up, I am going to get more people to have a result. It might not be 100%, but it'd be more people than if I stand up and say, well, we're going to run this and I'm hoping we're going to get some change. But do you understand what I'm saying? Your attitude, your expectation is vast. And when I train people to be hypnotists as well, just if they're just going to learn to do hypnosis, you know, whether it's in the street, or whether it's in therapy, I say, you know, you need to hold this as a sort of loop in your mind. You know, I'm a great hypnotist, you're a great subject, and I'm going to hypnotize you. And then when you step up to hypnotize, that comes across. You know, we were speaking the other day about, you know, your expectation in the therapy room. And whether this is true or not, but I will hold it in my heart, the thought, I care about you and I want you to be well. I think all of those things, unsaid or said, make a difference when you're helping people. Because their expectations is higher than it would have been if you just go in and, you know, you're not... Um, confident in what you're doing or we don't act confidently it's the same thing for me it's interesting and i I was doing a demo with someone uh recently who was asking me about hypnosis and i actually just did a a magnetic fingers um and then a magnetic hands and they said oh well yeah but that's not hypnosis that was just suggestion and and i just thought that was interesting because i i don't make a distinction between that to me all the things that you're suggest uh, or saying um implies that as you communicate with someone holding those things in your heart of I want what's best for you and I I care and I want you to have a good experience with this you are leaking out a whole load of non-verbal suggestions that are also going to impact them you know from the moment someone knocks on my door you know in the therapy room I'm at work and Mm. everything I say and everything I do my attitude my expectation is for me is is paramount you know I I fully expect that person to change if they want to change because I know that – well, I start, as I said earlier, with a belief that the only person in the therapy room that has the answer to the problem and the ability to overcome that problem is the, is the person in the therapy chair, not me. Mm. And really all my job is to do is to get them out of their own way and get them to the resources, allow them to allow them access to the resources and the understandings they already have. And part of that is the belief, you know, that – the, the understanding that something could change, you know, that what if question, you know, you weren't going to do this, but, you know, I know you struggle with what if at the end of this session, you know, you no longer had that fear. What if the need for a cigarette was gone in 90 minutes? The moment you start to talk like that, then you're planting that seed 
of expectation, of, of hope, which is a major thing. You know, I, I read somewhere about uh, medication. They were saying that they're saying medication might not always be necessary, but belief in a recovery is. And I think that's major. It, you know, it works in, on a physical level in hospitals, but it also works in the therapy room. A belief in a recovery is a major thing. And if you, as you say, exude that confidence and belief yourself that, yes, if we do this work together and you you follow the, 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 the rules of this technique, you can be free of this problem. And you've got to go into it like that. And I go into it because I absolutely believe it. I've seen it so many times that it's hard, it would be hard for me not to believe it. I'd, my expectation is that the person is going to get a result. That's my full expectation because I've seen it so many times. And it happens sometimes in minutes. You know, it happens in 90 minutes that you can get a change. And sometimes, as we were saying earlier, you can just change your mind about something. And that's how I see this. You just change your mind. How many times in your life have you thought, oh, I really enjoyed that? And you look back and think, when did I not enjoy that? At some point, you just change your mind. It didn't happen over a period of time. You just thought differently about it. And I think that's all we're doing in the therapy room. You're getting giving the person um, um, a chance to just change their mind and understand that they can do that. You know, what a wonderful thing to think that you could just decide to be happy if you're depressed. For sure. You know, how would that be? You know, just decide to be happy. You know, today I'm going to be happy. You know, I know it's a mad thing to say. And I know when we're talking about depression, you know, and, and uh, you know, chemicals in the brain and all that kind of thing. But the majority of people, I believe, that suffer with depression are really more fed up with their life than the clinically depressed. And I think that's the majority of people that, that are on pills at the moment. Um but that's just my belief, you know, my opinion. You're very, very good at essentially creating possibilities for people that come in with a very tr tried, tested uh, story that they've been telling themselves repeatedly. And suddenly they're, they're in front of someone who's kind of going, yeah, but what if it wasn't that? <laughs> what if it wasn't that story that you've been telling yourself? What if it could be different? Um, what, I, you know, I look at, you know, for years I've been hypnotizing people thinking i'm going to hypnotize someone you know they're going to tell me what they want i'm going to hypnotize them and feed that back to them i'm going to put them in a trance and i'm going to feed that back to them and they're going to change from i see things completely different now i think every client that comes to see me is already in a trance they're already in a trance and most of them are negative trances i can't do this i can't do that i can't stop smoking i can't lose weight i you know i'm i'm afraid and it's a very very i've had it for 20 years i've had this phobia it's deeply embedded and i can't lose it you know, those are trance states. Mm. You know, when you, I don't know if you've done, I think you've done stage, some stage or some street hypnosis where you hypnotize someone, you say your feet are stuck to the ground and you cannot move. Mm. Now, if that person bites on that suggestion, it doesn't matter. You can offer them all the money in the world. They cannot lift their feet off the ground. But then the moment you, you say to them, look, you know, only, I want to remind you, I only asked you to imagine that in the first place. Anytime you want, you can stop imagining it. And they can lift their feet. Well, imagine that that's the same in the therapy room. Imagine that all the things that are holding them to the problems they've got is just their imagination. And you could say to someone, <coughs> which I have done, just stop imagining that. Stop imagining it. You cannot do it. Stop imagining that's a scary thing to do. 
Now on a scale of one to ten, how scared are you? Mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's crazy. None of this stuff is complex. You know, once you understand that change can be rapid and and, and lasting. So you're coming at this from, um, you know, as, as we said in the introduction, um, with over 30,000 therapy clients and seeing results all over the place in times and in situations that in the past people maybe, you know, thought they were a bit stuck or they couldn't and suddenly things have cleared up for them. So you have this total uh, congruence which is aided by seeing just result after result after result. What advice would you have to someone who's starting out on this journey, knows that expectation and how much you are congruent is important, but doesn't have that kind of years uh, of experience and the, the client base that you've had to be able to have that sort of deep embodied sense of, of a surety about it. Well, I mean, one of my one of my favourite quotes from Erickson um, is that you know he, he was working with a pain client and he, the pain client had been given them amount of morphine. And nothing else could touch his pain. And the guy, I think, if I remember rightly, he'd had cancer of the face and he had part of his jaw removed. And he was in agony. And Erickson sat in front of him. And anyway, he, he, re- he took this pain away. The guy was dying. There was only a few months left in his life. But he, he relieved that pain for him over those next few months. And someone asked Erickson, he said, you know, did you know you could do that? And Erickson said this. And I think every hypnotherapist or any therapist should – Get this, these words down and memorize them and do it. And this is what he said. He said, I had my doubts, but what I had no doubt about so I could keep my doubts to myself. That's major in this work. Yeah. You know, yes, you're going to have doubts. You're going to think, is this person bright enough to get what I'm talking about? Is this person capable of going into, are they a good hypnotic subject? I never ask that question now. I never think, is this person... Is somnambulist? Is he is he going to be good at this? No, I assume that everyone can get it. And if I have my doubts, I know that I can keep my doubts to myself. And that's major when you step up to hypnotize someone. When you're doing therapy, you know you you must be able to exude that that thing, you know, to give that person hope. And that's from your expectation. And as you say, if someone's starting out and they've only seen two or three clients, how can they exude that confidence and that belief? You know, I said to my son once, <laughs> I said, you're, you're acting like an idiot. And he said, well, I'm not an idiot. I, I said, I know you're not an idiot, but you're acting like an idiot. I said, so the people who don't know that you're not an idiot, what are they going to think? He said, they're going to think I'm an idiot. You know, and, and it's the same with confidence. You know, you can, you can if, even if you don't feel it, you know, practice in the mirror. You know, exuding confidence, you know, fake it till you make it, so to, so to speak, because, you know, you can do that because that's going to be effective. And when you step up in front of someone to hypnotize them, you know, and yes, you have your doubts, but get that those words down. I had my doubts, but what I had no doubt about is I could keep my doubts to myself. That's as hard to learn as the hypnotherapy techniques, but mm. it's, 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 it's immensely important for me anyway. For, for my students to learn and for my clients to feel that they're, you know, I don't have any doubt in my mind. I know you're capable of, of quitting smoking. I know you're capable of overcoming this drug. I know you're capable of overcoming this fear or this anxiety. And if, if we work together and we run these simple techniques, 
that's what's going to happen. And that is, you know, as I'm speaking to you now, it's how I speak to my clients with a total understanding and belief. Do I get 100% results? No, but I'll get better results and more results by holding and holding that expectation, that attitude, than if I went in there doubting them, doubting myself. So if you if you didn't get a result with someone, um, then how how do you manage that if they come back and they say, well, hey, you know, this didn't work, but you, you sounded so so sure. Because I think that's the issue that a lot of people have over what prevents them from sounding so congruent because they go, well, if it didn't work, what are they going to say then? Who, who is that? Who are they, who's the therapist concerned about when they're worrying about what if the client comes back and says, you were this and you were that and you promised me this and it didn't work? Are they worried about the client or are they worried about themselves, their own ego? Mm-hmm. You know, I think you've got, for me, I, I, can with take, I can take that because I know that the majority of clients are going to get a better result by, by me acting like that. And yes, you have to say, well, yeah, uh, you know, I'm sorry it didn't work or whatever. But in reality, the amount of people that have come back to me, and if let's say someone starts smoking, in, I've never had anyone ring me back, up, ring up and say, I've started smoking again. And, should, you know, because you didn't do this. They apologize because they know when they're in that room that I want this for them. And the, and the least they're going to get is an understanding that, this man really wanted me to wanting to help me, and yes, you know, do, you know we don't get a hundred percent results. But someone come back. We we've got lots of techniques we can try. Let's try something else. <clears throat> Let's look at it again. Let's make sure that you understood everything that I had to say, mm. and, and you know, and we go over it again, and we can do it and work with people. It's rare. It's so rare that I see people more than once. And mm. it's as I was saying to you the other day, it's not a good business model. <laughs> But ethically for me, you know, I just believe that I can't say this is going to take three sessions if I believe I can do it in one session. I can't. I don't want someone smoking for 12 weeks if I can help them in an hour and a half because I don't know that in the third week they're not going to have the cigarettes going to kill them. Yeah. So, you know, that's just the way I work. But, you know, you have to be um, big enough to take failure, you know, and, and, and learn from your failures. But, you know, the first group I did for smoking was 70 people in the room. And I guaranteed it at that point in time. I'd say, if you don't quit, you can phone me up and I'll give you your money back. And three people asked for their money back. And for the next three weeks, I was asking myself the question, why didn't those three people quit? You know, what did I do wrong? I was forgetting about the 67 people that didn't smoke anymore. You know, and sometimes we can focus on that. We are human beings. We're not gods. You know, and sometimes we mess up and sometimes we do things wrong. But if you do everything you do in the therapy room with the best intent, you know, that's all you can ask of yourself. You know, want it for the client and do your utmost. You know, be yourself in that room. That's the major thing to do. You know, when people talk about rapport, you know, how do you build rapport and how do you get rapport? I just say trust that you're a good enough person and be yourself. You know, yeah. speak how you speak to your friend. Speak how you speak to your son. You know, and then people understand this is who you are. You're not trying to pretend to be something you're not. I think you're right. People people see whether there's a facade or sense whether that you're not being genuine or congruent in your own skin. Um, absolutely. Changing tracks slightly, uh, Freddie, 
you, in the rapid fire round, um, you gave an interesting answer. And by the way, for those of you who are listening, who are going, what is the rapid fire round? If you scroll down underneath the uh, this full episode on the page, there is a little uh, box with a video uh, where the rapid fire round is housed. So you can go and click through and it's eight questions in two minutes to give people a flavor of what's to come. Um, but one of the questions was, can you think of a concept or an idea that you used to believe was true, but you subsequently changed your mind about? And it was interesting because it sounded like you, you used to believe that the environment had to be a particular way to, to help someone experience hypnosis. And you've kind of done a, a 180 degree turn on that. Tell, tell think, us about that. I think a lot of hypnotherapists and a lot of hypnotherapy training, you know, focus on the fact that, well, one, that the client's in some kind of sleep. And so it has to be a quiet environment. You know, otherwise you wake them up. Mm-hmm. For the first 5,000 clients, I would sit in my chair, they would sit in their chair, and I would be scared to move in case they came out of trance. You know, it had to be quiet. If someone rang the bell, I'd be, I'd be worried about that. But I now know that I can, if I meet someone in a pub, or even in a nightclub, right? And they can hear me, and they and I know what they want to change. I can run one of these techniques and get a result. It doesn't matter how noisy it is. In fact, when I first started out, I was working for my house, and it was in a terraced house, so there was no front garden. And and I was hypnotising this guy for smoking, and his wife was sitting in my lounge, which is in the next room, and there was a guy outside laying the tarmac on the pavement with one of those thudder things. You know, my, my chair was actually moving. And I was shouting, you know, relax, <laughs> go deeper. And uh, I did the whole session shouting at him because I couldn't even hear myself. We went through to the next room and his wife said to him, could you do that work with all that noise? And I swear, this is what this man said. He said, what noise? Yeah. You know, he wasn't focused on the noise outside. He was focused on my voice. That was a big learning curve for me. You know, it doesn't have to be a quiet environment. There are people now who still play whale music in the back of their therapy room. Mm. They think it's important. That's not important. It's I mean, not- it might be a nice environment. People go, oh, I was really relaxed. Mm. But we're, we're hypnotherapists, not a relaxer therapist. There's a big difference. And, you know, but I think a lot of people who, who learn their, their art through scripts and they think they've got to read this script and it's got to be in this environment. Once you get over that, it doesn't matter if someone rings on the doorbell or someone knocks on the door or you drop something because you understand that that client, if they're hypnotized and they're there for a certain reason and they're focused on what's important to them, none of that stuff is of is, is any, any importance mm-hmm. to them. So that was a big learning thing for me, yeah. And I think that's the biggest misconception that a lot of hypnotherapists have, that it has to be a certain quiet type environment for them to do their work. That is not true. Do you think this goes back to something that we, we've already touched on, which is just expectation and belief that, you know, if if a, a therapist or a hypnotherapist believes that there has to be total quiet and it has to be a specific breed of whale on the, uh, on the track that's playing, uh, otherwise it won't work. That actually, that kind of leaks out that those suggestions non-verbally, and it creates, in fact, something that doesn't work so well because uh, you know they're tentative. They drop the pen or something, and suddenly they go, oh, <laughs> "You know, that's right. You can you can just 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 relax deeper. Don't be disturbed by the pen." You know, and somehow it, it kind of doesn't work because they're suggesting that. 
Yeah, one of the wonderful lines when I first started doing this, when I was working in, a, in an environment, which, you know, it, it, I might have been concerned about the noise going on. But a way of overcoming that, if that is a belief of yours, there's an Ericsson line. It's a fantastic line. It says this, not speaking and not moving makes it easier to not listen to anything other than the sound of my voice. I, that's, that's fantastic. You know, if someone's hypnotized, that's a fantastic suggestion. Mm. Not mo- not moving and not speaking makes it easier to not listen to anything other than the sound of my voice. Now, they're sitting in a chair. They're not moving. They're not speaking. And you just hit them with that line. It's mm. super. If it's a problem for you. But once you understand that this is not about environment, it's not about eyes closed. You, you know, as I said to you, most I believe most all my clients are coming in already in trance. They're walking around with their eyes open. They're speaking. They're functioning. Mm. In trance. So once you understand that trance is not a state of eyelids, you know, it's not about having your eyes closed. It's then you get over that. Absolutely. It's about, you know, the techniques that we can run. Um, you know, they're, they're important, but it's, I think, as we were saying earlier, your attitude, your expectation, building hope in your client, the, ch- the, the thought, what if this is going to work? What, what happens then? You know, when people ask about the, how I get into this and, and, tr- and, and asking about things in the past and all that, I don't get into that. As soon as I can with my clients, I want to ask them the question, what do you want? And for a lot of people who've been in therapy, different kinds of therapy, talking therapies, they want to tell you the things they don't want anymore. I don't want to be afraid. I don't want to be overweight. I don't want to smoke. I don't want to do this drug. They'll tell you half a dozen things they don't want. But, you know, what Anthony and I call the magic wand question is superb in us. You know, if I had a magic wand and I could wave it and you could walk out of that door, how would you be? Hmm. That gets them straight to them. Well, I'd be this, I'd be that. Then you've got a real thing to aim at and some words to use. You know, but all the time you're going through things they don't want and they're telling you about how they how they got to where they are. And a lot of them want to do that. And I don't want to be rude and say, like, I'm not interested. Because, you know, I, I, you know, but as soon as I can, I want to get them to understand that I understand, you know, that you've had these problems. But we get this right, you're going to walk out of that door. And the need for that drug's going to be gone. The fear will be gone. You know, and get that into them as soon as you can. That's my way of working. You've seen me work. I mean, I don't mm-hmm. know if you saw me at the UK hypnosis convention this year where I had 10 minutes left in that, that uh, room. Yeah. And I got everyone to stand up. Everyone in that. I didn't get them all to stand up. I said anyone who's got pain, emotional or physical, or any anxiety, and you want to be free of it, stand up. Now, I expected 10 or 12 people to stand up. 60, 70 people stood up. And I had five minutes. I've just looked at the video. It's five minutes around the arrow technique. Yep. And I said, if that pain's gone or drastically reduced, sit down. All but two people sat down. You know, I didn't even expect that. It was phenomenal. That was not in an acquired environment. That was with people coughing, moving around, you know, taking videos. And it, in that environment, people got to change. And in five minutes, not five weeks or five months or five years. So, you know, I, I, my expectation is high because I know how powerful these techniques are and, you know, how powerful hypnosis is as a tool for communication. That's how I see this, just communication at a different level. Yeah. So in terms of talking about the arrow technique, um, and there may be people that, that 
I mean, maybe just haven't come across it yet. Um, could you tell us a little bit about it? And also, I'm curious as to how it developed, how it came about. Well, as I said, I, I've, you know, I, I've had my own ideas on how to help people. And, I, and I've read different articles and I've read about Ericsson. And Ericsson really gave me the, the, the major idea because he would say that, you know, getting back to most hypnotherapists think they have to be in a relaxed environment. Sit in a chair, close your eyes, relax, which is perfectly okay in most cases. If someone's in chronic pain and you ask them to relax, that's not possible. You know, if you've got a really bad pain in your back or your leg or your head, you know, you, you, and someone says, just relax, that's not, that's not possible. So Erickson understood this. And what he would do as the foci of attention, he would get them to focus on the pain itself. And he would get them to go to the very center of that pain, the hot spot. And he'd use that to drive them into hypnosis. You know, whereas, you know, in the street, you might say, look at the back of your hand or look at that light or look into my eyes. You know, anything's going to focus their attention. He would use the pain itself. Mm. So having read that and that that was in, in the back of my mind. And then for years, I suffered with kidney stones, which apparently is the worst pain man can experience. And my way of, of getting away from that pain, even with the, the morphine and stuff they gave you, it was still incredible pain. I would go to a memory of the time that I was in France and the drive and the person I was with and what that person was wearing and what we were eating and drinking, what was the number plate on the car. And the more I got into the memory, the deeper I got into it, the more detailed I got into it, the further away I got away from the pain. So that disassociation I'd learned to do. And if I could get into the memory so I could be in my body in that memory and looking back to now, I could completely alleviate that pain. So the arrow technique came out of a few things. Obviously, there's language in it. If you listen to it, um, you might not notice. But if it's broken down, as we do on, when, you know, in, the, in the actual technique, Anthony and I video three people I'm working with and we break it down into each what's happening here, what's happening there. You'll see the language within that technique is specific. But the idea that you can focus on that pain and use that focus as a way of alleviating that pain and then be able to disassociate from your body and look at yourself from another perspective and, and notice that that pain's gone. And then utilizing the person's own immune system to make the changes that are needed physically. All that's done within that arrow technique. And when I first used it, I was running a group for smoking down in Cardiff. And there were maybe 200 people in the room. And at the end of it, so, someone said, I said, I'll be back in six weeks. If anyone wants to see me for anything other than smoking, I'm going to be working throughout the day and I'm going to be doing a group smoking in the evening. Mm -hmm. So someone said, can you help with pain? And I said, yes. I said, but who is it for? She said, it's for me. I said, well, don't wait six weeks. If you wait around afterwards, I'll help you. So there's another lady there on crutches. And she said, can I stay? I said, of course. So I saw everyone out. And there were maybe half a dozen people in the room with these two women. I hypnotized them. I used my Jacqueline power induction and hypnotized them, ran the arrow technique, which I'd never run before, but I had an idea that it would work. So I ran this technique and the woman at the crutches, her hands came down. She had osteoporosis. She'd been on crutches for 12 years. And she, I said, where's the pain gone now? And she said, I haven't got any pain. So the other woman's hands came down, and, I, and she looked at me and started crying. And I said, are you all right? She said, yes. 
but I've been in pain for nine years. I haven't got any pain. She was crying tears of joy. So the woman at the crutches stood up and said, do you think I can walk without my crutches? I said, well, I'm not a medical person. She said, well, hold them. So I held these crutches and she sort of started moving tently towards me. And I said, are you in pain? She said, no, but I haven't walked without crutches for 12 years. So she said, I've got an MRI scan coming up. I think I ought to have it. I said, of course. I said, it'd be nice to walk in there without any pain. She said, I will. And I swear, Howard, she put these crutches under her arm. She took her four-year-old boy's hand for the first time ever and walked out of this conference room without her crutches. It's amazing. You know, I'd never run that technique before, but I ran it with the same attitude and expectation as I do now after doing it thousands of times. Yeah. You know, to those, those two women, they didn't know that was the first time I'd done it. But, you know, and because of that, I don't know whether it's because of that or what, but by my attitude towards it and my expectation, it worked. And it's worked. It's working all around the world. And this technique takes five to ten minutes. It's not hours. You know, and people are getting results, not only for pain, but for emotion, you know, problems, habits, anxiety, stress. Just by putting that in the target, running this technique, people are getting, you know, relief from it. And it is amazing, even to me. And and I heard something a few weeks back about magic. And I don't know if you do a bit of magic. I know mm. Anthony does yeah. lots of magic. And they say, and it's this quote, and I, I love it, because it's, they said, magic is magic to everyone except the magician. Because yeah. he knows how that's done. Yeah? But miracles, <laughs> which is pretty much what you're doing as a hypnotist when you take someone from chronic pain to no pain in five or ten minutes, is miraculous even to the person who's doing the technique. I never am not fascinated by how this works. You know, I don't, I don't need to know how it works. I just need to know it works. You know, I, and I know there are lots of people fascinated by how this works and they study it. And we need them out because sooner or later it would be nice to have the medical establishment accept that hypnosis is a, is a you know a valuable tool for therapy. Mm. Um, but you know, I was thinking about this morning this question about how things work. You know, if I want if it's dark in my room, I don't need to know how the electricity works. I just need to know how to put that switch on. Yeah, that's a very simple thing to do. I don't need to know how pain is created in the mind. I, need, I just need to know the, this technique, and I have to do it with enough congruence that the person's going to understand, and and they're going to get it. You know, I don't need to know that. So maybe I'm a bit simplistic, but I would rather continue to do this work. And I'd say to a lot of new hypnotherapists, we have what we call course junkies, people who never get around to doing the work because they never believe they've learned enough. You know, I think it can't be this simple. It can't be that easy. I must go and do another course. Mm -hmm. You know, I would say, you know, if you can hypnotize someone, which is not difficult, I mean, you could teach someone how to hypnotize someone in an hour, you know, and it's the first thing we do on our courses. By lunchtime, everyone's hypnotizing someone, even they've never hypnotized anyone before. That's the first thing you want, to be confident, be able to hypnotize. If you can hypnotize someone and you can suggest that they might change, you could do some work. It's as simple as that. What if? What if, you know, I've hypnotized you. What if, you know, your foot's stuck to the ground and you can't lift it? What if the problem you've got is exactly the same? And when I click my fingers and your foot comes unstuck, that problem comes unstuck. What if that would happen? 
You know, if you're standing up in a pub and you learn to do this, you know, why would you not do that? If you've not, you know, if you've only got five minutes with a person, you know, it's, it's, for me, it's trying to hold it back. I sort of, I see people and they say, oh, my back's hurting. You know, it's, it's so tempting to say, do you want to be free of that? Yeah. You know, let's now. And if I have the time, then I probably would. Mm-hmm. You know, that, because why would you not do it? But, you know, this is not complex. And um, people try to make it more complex. And I think part of that reasoning is that if it's complex, if it's difficult, and I can do it, then I'm cleverer than you are. Mm-hmm. That's about ego. If it's simple and everyone can do it, that doesn't make me special in any way. You know, I'd love people, I'd love to teach people to be taught hypnosis in school. Absolutely. You know, my nine, my 15 year old son, he's 15 now, but he was nine at the time. He was at school and he'd been watching me help someone out of pain. I didn't even know he was listening. And he went, he came home one evening, he was eating his sausage and mash and he's just talking. And he said today, he said, my friend had broken her arm. She said, she's coming to school. She's got it in plaster, but she was in pain. She said, he said, and this is why he's eating his sausage and mash. He said, and I ran that thing you did the other day. He saw you do. He said, and I took the pain away. As if it was, you know, you know, I, I played, I, I played football and scored a goal. It, it was no different in his mind. He didn't know it was complex. He didn't know that, you know, this is almost miraculous what he did. He didn't think about it because to him it wasn't, and it's not. Why would you not teach every? Why would every nurse, doctor, any carer? Anyone that's helping anyone that's in pain, physical or emotional, not learn the arrow technique. Just such, you know, a, it's just, such a great a great way to, to to ideas to put into to young people's minds. What what amazing ideas! Yeah, you know, what if you if you're a doctor and your your patients on the most um, pain relief they can take, and you can't give them any more medication, why would you not say, look, there's this technique? You've got five minutes for your patient. I'm not talking about hours. You've got five minutes. Just run this technique. You know, what's the worst thing going to happen? The worst thing that happens is nothing's going to happen. But what if? You know, and then run this arrow technique in the five minutes you've got with your patient. Mm. You know, why would doctors not be using that other than the fact that, you know, they – I don't know why they wouldn't use it. We have got doctors on our training courses, and they are using We've got a surgeon in Brazil. He's an osteosurgeon. He, you know, he takes people's legs off. He's using the arrow technique. Now we've got we've got physios all around the world, nurses around the world using this in A and E now. You know, they might not say it's hypnosis, not allowed to. You know, but they can say, look, let's just run this imagination technique with you. Let's see what happens, and they're getting phenomenal results. And I just don't understand why. You know, it's not as I say to my clients. I'm not going to give you any pills or potions. Mm. What's the worst thing that can happen? The worst thing that happens is nothing. But what if? You know, and no one says, don't try it, Freddie. You know, it's just a phenomenal thing to do. And hypnosis is a phenomenal tool. That's how I see it. But it's just a way of communicating at a different level. I love the fact that you keep going back to this question, what if, and this idea of seeding possibilities and hope in someone's mind, I, I think is just a, a really beautiful thing. And um, just to... to Add my two pennies worth as well here. Um, I have spoken to a number of people, um, both on the podcast and, you know, before we've jumped on and recorded stuff. Um, and I, I know a lot of people who I've interviewed for past episodes have used and been using the arrow technique as well with great success and, and just rave about it. So, um, certainly if there are listeners out there who have not yet, um, 
uh, learnt this, um, then uh, there's going to be links underneath the episode and showing you where to go uh, that you can. Uh, and I totally, thoroughly recommend it as well. Um, Freddie, if there are... I mean, you, you mentioned in the rapid fire round uh, that if you had to reread one book about change work a hundred times, what book would it be? And you mentioned The Patterns of Milton Erickson, Volume 1. Are there any other um, books that, you know, two or three that spring to mind as being good go-to reads for people uh, who want to get into this uh, kind of work? Well, I'm, I'm not a, an avid reader. I mean, Anthony, my son Anthony, he, he just eats books, he devours books. He's so knowledgeable on hypnosis. He can quote chapter and verse, you know, people throughout history that have, that have developed through hypnosis, and he's fantastic. I'm not an avid reader. I read the book that I spoke about. If I go on a holiday, I'll take it with me. And I showed you it earlier. It's very, you know, worn out, um, but I'll read it. And it's I go back to the same thing. that All we have as hypnotists is our language. That's all we have. We don't, you know, some people might use swinging watches and swirly things. It's not we don't need it. What we need is our language. And by understanding how we use our language, um, we can help people change. So that's my, uh, there's another book by Jay Haley, which is called Uncommon Therapy, mm. which is written about, again, about Milton Erickson's case studies, which is a, it's a fantastic read. Um, so, as I said, I, I'm, I'm not a, a an avid reader and I can't quote many books. I mean, Human Givens is a very good book to read. You know, they have some great ideas and great ways of working. Mm. Um, but, you know, I would suggest that if you're, that you find someone who does work that you do, work that I do, do the course. I mean, we run uh, a one day modern hypnotism course, which touches upon the therapy and a rapid change therapy and some other things, Anthony's ideas, um, which go beyond that. Um, and it's not it's not expensive to do that. And within a day, you could be out there helping people change their lives. And I think that's maybe, again, the problem. You know, when, we, we, when a doctor has seven or eight years of, of training um, and, you know, we're not on the same levels that, as them when it comes to the work they do. But we can change people's lives. And as I said to our, our students, it's, it's understanding we work with neurosis, not psychosis. And there's so many the problems that most people have in the world are, are that, you know, the anxiety, the stress, the irrational fears, the habitual behaviors. Um, and we can help change that. And we can learn how to do that very rapidly. You know, as I said, we run a five day, what we call our diploma course. And people say, well, how can you give someone the, the ability to go and change people in five days? We, the reason I believe we can do that is because we start with that core belief that the client has the answer, the client has the resources and the ability to change. You know, I think if you, if you study some other forms of psychology, you have to figure out what the pro person's problem is. You have to figure that out. And you have to assume that you now know what their problem is. You then have to come up with a strategy to overcome that problem. This is that goes out the window when you believe that the person in the other chair to you knows what to do and has the ability to change and all you have to do is if you like for one of a better way of exp expressing it get them out their own way mm. that conscious part of their mind which believes which is probably the most limiting part of our being but believes it is us out the way for a few moments and allow your instinctive intuitive mind 
to take some suggestions for change. And that word suggestion, which is bandied about by uh, hypnotherapists, and we use it all the time, what is it? And what's the difference between suggesting that someone quit smoking to someone suggesting, you know, could you make me a cup of tea? You know, it's, it's not used in the same way. And the difference is that a hypnotic suggestion turns what we call a, a doing into a happening. You know, you can suggest, you can ask someone to, you know, lift their hand. And that's that they are doing. I'm lifting my hand. But if you suggest that your hand might be coming lighter, it might begin to lift. And that starts to happen by itself almost. And then that person understands that they, they are not doing that consciously. Then it becomes a happening. You know, and if you look, you know, you, you can then push that further and say, you can try and get your hand down and find it goes even higher. And when that happens, when the person's consciously trying to push their hand down and it's still going higher, they understand that this is no longer something they're doing. It becomes a happening. The suggestion that this might happen. And so if you look at all of your problems as things that are happening, you know, they're not, you're not doing these things consciously. And I say to people who smoke, I've seen people who smoke, obviously I've seen people smoke 80 a day, but the majority of people smoke 20 or 30 a day. Mm. And they smoke those cigarettes for 30 years. I say that's an incredible feat to try and remember to do something 30 times a day, every single day for 30 years without fail. You couldn't do that consciously. Yeah. You know, once they understand that, say, what if we could get that process working in a, in a different way for you? Instead of looking at it as something as a bad, something bad, you know, this is a powerful part of your being. Let's get it to do something else. And if you can, if you can just suggest that, and then it becomes a happening. I no longer have to think about this. This, this is now happening. You know, uh, that's how I see this. Um, the difference between a, a hypnotic suggestion and a normal suggestion is that you turn something that was a doing into a happening. And when I experience this happening, then I understand there's more going on. And then you can, you can class their problem in the same way. This is just something that's happening. And it's, it's someone suggested at some point in your life that you cannot stop doing this. And if you can stick someone's hands together in a the therapy room so they can't pull their hands, together, uh, hands apart, and then you, you liken their problem to the same thing, then you reach across and say, look, I'm going to touch your hand, I'm going to come unstuck. And I'm going to hypnotize you and you're going to come unstuck from that problem. You know, that's how I see this. It's not complex. Very simple. I, I absolutely love that. I absolutely love it. And this distinction between, you know, experiencing something as a happening uh, and that being the distinction around suggestion, I think is, is absolutely great. Um, Freddie, people are listening in and when they want to get in touch with you, how can they do that? Where can they go? <clears throat> they can go to our, if you want to do, if you're interested in training with us, you can go to the uh, jackmanhypnosisacademy.com. Um, if you're interested in the arrow and you're thinking about maybe you want to use the arrow technique or you want to learn how to do that, then you can go to um, thearrowtechnique.com. If you're interested in what I do and me personally, then it's freddyjackwin.com. Um, and I will be running training, mentoring as well. So if you're interested in doing that, and I'm going to be releasing my book soon, within the next month or so. And in that book, my intention is that anyone, whether they've ever hypnotized anyone before, can pick that book up. I'm going to, I'm going to teach them everything I know in that book. 
There aren't, there's going to be video and audio to go with it. And stories, different, you know, interesting cases. The man with the phobic foot, which is what I like. The woman with the yellow rubber gloves. So a few <laughs> strange sort of story titles um, from people I've seen. So I'm going to be releasing that quite soon and keep an eye out for it. But as I say, if you want to contact me, contact me from my website. Um, I hope I'll give you my phone number so you can contact me directly. If they want to see me one-to-one. -one, I'm in the northeast of England. So anyone in this area that wants to see me one-to-one, -one, you know, you can do that. If you want to train me one-to-one, -one, you can obviously do that as well. Um, so, yeah, I would love to see anyone. I want everyone, as many people to know how to, how to do this as possible because it's a fantastic tool and we, and we should all know how to use it. Fantastic. Freddie, just to, to remind the listeners, these podcasts, they are pre-recorded. They're not being streamed live, which means by the time this goes out, um, I think this is probably going to be released uh, from the time of recording this in about six, seven weeks. It could be that the book's out, so we will make sure, um, if it is out, that we'll put any links to it on the episode guide as well. So uh, if you look down now, it may already be there, uh, a link. Um, Freddie, when you we talked about you coming on the Rapid Change Matters podcast, is there anything that you thought would come up that would be useful to share with people, but that just I haven't asked directly? Um, not that I can think of. I think you've been pretty thorough. I know I talk a lot, but then I get enthused about this whole thing. So, you know, I, I do get um, passionate about it because it is my passion. And, you know, I, I love talking about it. I love using it. Um, so, yeah, and no, I think it's been great. And I think, you know, great speaking to you. Great meeting you at the, the conference. Um, hopefully we'll meet there again or we'll meet sooner than that. Absolutely. So if, anyone, if anyone wants, you know, to ask me any questions, I'm always, you can email me at freddie.jackwin um, at gmail. And I, if I can, I'll answer the questions for them. If they want to speak, speak to me personally, they can do. They can phone me or Skype me because um, I love what I do and I'm, I love speaking about it as I said it's my passion lovely well thank you so much Freddie for joining us today and uh, as always uh, if you have any comments or thoughts about this episode underneath the episode guide right now you can see a comments box so feel free to leave your thoughts comments and I'm sure I'll be able to persuade Freddie to come and have a look at any comments and uh, join in on that conversation thanks very much Howard it's been great I hope you enjoyed this episode, and if you did, why not share it with anyone you think might be interested, and even head over to iTunes to give us a glowing review. You'll find more about what's coming up on our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash rapidchangematters hyphen podcast, and of course, you'll find all the links related to this episode, plus those upcoming live events that will help you hone those change work skills.